that we have a reason to gather and to open the word and to to hear uh, from you. We are eager to hear from you tonight. We're eager to grow in our knowledge and understanding of you and your will and ourselves. We're eager for movement. We're eager for process and sanctification. Lord, as we consider Jacob tonight, some trials that he went through, particularly the difference between him and Laban, I pray that you would give us insight and discernment. We're thankful for this fall semester and we're getting back into school and Wednesday night activities. I pray that you would bless this time. I pray that it wouldn't just be another activity on the schedule. That it would be focused, intentional, and purposed on growing so that you might be more glorified in the people. Lord, we kind of a privilege. We thank you for Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A few housekeeping things before we jump into the study. Our plan is to spend 12 weeks in the fall getting through the majority of the rest of Genesis. We ended uh, spring in Genesis 30 uh, with Jacob and many wives, possibly. Uh, and then uh, we're going to pick up 31, spend 12 weeks in the fall, uh, hopefully getting through the majority of Genesis. Uh, while we do this, our children and our youth are going to be going through a 12-week study in all, over all of Genesis. So we'll all be in Genesis at the same time. And the hope is that in January, the Lord wills it, January of 2011, uh, we will have a four-part study preparing for the Exodus in Egypt, and then moving to Exodus together, children, adults, students, youth, uh, and then uh, possibly finish it. My best calculation is May of 2012. So the Lord wills it. Uh, that's the plan for the next few months anyway. As well, our students will be, uh, some of you have students at age 7 through 12, we call them students, young men, young women. Uh, they're, they're spending Wednesday nights in a new format, um, in a sense, and that new format for our students is a modified small group. What we're finding is that uh, we've been learning over the last few years on what our approach is with 7th through 12th graders and um, don't want to maybe do what a lot of us may have grown up in, but want to be intentional and purposeful in uh, equipping them for work and ministry that they're called to and seeing a bigger picture than just you know, being entertained. And so what we're doing with our students, 7th through 12th grade, they are at the Adele's house currently, and their approach is going to be that of a modified small group where... Um, it's not exactly like the other small groups, but Darren Sapp is going to be shepherding that modified small group, and all youth parents are co-shepherding. So if you didn't know that now, now you do. You're a co-shepherd in that, uh, or fellow shepherd with Darren, fellow parent. And they're walking through Genesis as well. And our studies will be lining up, but we're hoping that we'll see in our students what we're seeing in our small groups. More accountability, more engagement of the word, uh, possibly more on trips to some of these places that we're engaging globally, more engagement uh, in the community, serving and uh, doing things that we see in our small groups. So uh, that's information, a little bit of housekeeping. Turn to Genesis 31. In Genesis, we've gotten through 30 chapters, as I've mentioned, that our story is the story of the people. You've heard that a lot. And we reiterate that because we're not just here to just obtain facts and maybe increase in knowledge a little bit and feel good about that. We're hoping that we go to this breathed out word 
and see things from the Lord that, that help us to live lives that put his glory on display more appropriately. He's spoken to us as a people generationally in the way that he speaks to Jacob and his family and the things we see in the life of Laban and his family inform us about the life we're supposed to live for the glory of God. Your creative purpose is God's glory. And so uh, it's not a fairy tale in a land far, far away or a book about people a long time ago. This is our story. We climb into it. We import our senses. We want to understand it. What was it like? What were they experiencing? What were the nuances in each scenario? Um, uh, in chapter 31, in the preceding couple of chapters, the main focus is on God. It's always the main focus is on God, particularly as he displays um, his character and his purposes through the life of Jacob. Uh, in chapters 29 through 30, Jacob is a busy boy. I don't know if y'all remember some of our weird studies in the spring, uh, but Jacob marries Rachel and Leah and Zilpah and Bilhah in a sense, um, some more traditional than others, obviously, um, and they get to work producing a bunch of kiddos. And they essentially turn baby making into a team sport, which is not the most biblical approach, but that is what they do. And as we went through those chapters, we saw that they, they kind of stepped outside of what God's design is, and you saw some um, very serious heartache and consequence for that, and some real struggle within the household, because he doesn't just have a wife, uh, he has a, many wives at this point, really four, um, uh, and it's awkward, because that's not God's design. And so we'll talk more about that in detail in a moment. By the end of chapter 30, we find that Jacob has a large family that he's responsible for, yet he's still under the roof of, do you remember his opportunistic father-in-law? What was his name? Laban. Laban is a character, and we will see him uh, more tonight. Laban has withheld from his own daughters and grandchildren uh, that which they need, just for survival. Jacob is at a point where he's ready to leave Laban's home in Genesis 31. He's ready to move on. Um, because uh, it's not a good place for his family. It, it has turned into something where Laban is so opportunistic and so self-serving that his own daughters and his own grandchildren are suffering and not getting that which they need. Uh, and what we're seeing here is that uh, by God's hand, a shift has taken place. Jacob has been made strong. Jacob has a bigger family. Jacob's flocks are stronger now and more abundant. While Laban's time of enjoying benefit from Jacob's hard work and God's blessings coming to an end. Uh, so it's time for Jacob to leave. Genesis 31, let's read it aloud. It's 55 verses, so hold up tight. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban uh, were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. And the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. Now this, as I'm reading this, this is a sober moment. This is a moment you, you hear about leaving and cleaving when you get married. And then this is um, taking place here. This is a sober moment where these two women are learning things about their father that they have not really known before. And it's being made clear to them through a husband who's learning to live in an understanding way uh, with his wives, which there's not supposed to be multiple wives. I'm making that clear, right? <laughs> it's, it sounds awkward every time you say it because it's not God's design. It's supposed to be the same wives. Yeah, it's, it's awkward. It's not right. But he has wives. 
So uh, he's got his work cut out for him, to say the least. Um, so Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. Notice the disconnect there. He changed my wages ten times. He didn't get him in harm. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock wore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock wore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and muddled. Y'all ever had that dream? <laughs> then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all the Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow of Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there any portion of our inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our Father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. I like that verse. He drove away all his life, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Panoram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. So remember, he arrived in Panoram with a staff in his hand. That's it. And now he's, he's loaded up. I mean, if you've ever moved, you know it's a cumbersome task. Uh, imagine doing it with many wives, children, and camels. It's, it's cumbersome, and it's, it's going to be a, an interesting move, but, but he's been blessed abundantly. Um, part of it being so cumbersome is, is, well, this is a blessing. God has given us an abundance here. Uh, to go to the land of Cain, uh, to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear the sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with earth and songs and tambourine and life? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Like what I'm doing right now. <laughs> and now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? 
Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. On her. So Laban, this, this part's funny, we can laugh at it. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. Yes, she did. <laughs> so he searched, but did not find the household gods. Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between the two of us. These twenty years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by day, the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock. And you've changed my wages ten times. He's hacked. He's bringing it. If God, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away to him. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or their children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set up his pillar. Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahadika, but Jacob called it This heap is a witness for you and me today. Therefore, he named it Lee Hitchcock, because this heap has a forename. For he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God's a witness between you and me. Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness. The pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. It's kind of a line in the sand. You stay on your side, I'll stay on my side, we'll be fine. The God of Abraham, the God of Nabor, the God of their father judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban rose, kissed his grandchildren and his daughters, and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. All right, go back to verses 1 through 3. I think it's peculiar timing that we're engaging these verses on the heels of two weeks of being hated by the world. The sermons that we heard on Sunday morning. Uh, hated by the world in large part 
it's, it's not a picture of we're hated just because we have some right to be jerks and, and uh, rudely outspoken. Uh, a lot of times uh, you're hated without cause, which is something we actually see in these verses. We see godlessness in Laban's sons right off the bat. What do they say? What, what do they observe with each other and say about Jacob? Stolen from, his, from their father. Yeah, he, he stole from our father, and everything um, he, he gained his wealth just because of our dad. Uh, this is not a really good recounting of what actually happened. It, there would be no wealth if not for God blessing the families via Jacob and his hard work. And so uh, they do not take into account Jacob's hard work, the needs of Jacob's family. They don't seem to care about that much, or the mighty hand of God. Uh, what we have to see right as we jump into this study is that it's by God's design that Jacob has to endure Laban. It's by God's design that Jacob is in this scenario where Laban, this opportunistic, self-serving, uh, rude person, is uh, so hard on his family. Because now they get to experience God as deliverer, as redeemer, and as sustainer. If you don't see, uh, if you don't ever find yourself in a scenario where you really need to be delivered, uh, you're not going to see God as deliverer. If you don't find yourself concerned maybe about the well-being of your family at any point in time and needing to be sustained, you may not get to experience God as sustainer. Um, and then as redeemer as well. If you don't see your need for um, for something outside of you to be done about your, your sin problem, uh, you will not experience God as redeemer. <clears throat> the work of God's hands has been seen for 20 years, and it's so wonderful because here we haven't heard God speak much in these 20 years particularly. But here we see God going to Jacob and speaking to him, telling him that it's time to go home while confirming the promises before. I'm with you. I never left you. I'm here. And I'm sustained. Uh, what would make it hard for them to leave right now? What, what would make it hard for Jacob and the wives and the children to leave? How much they do have. Yeah. Business is booming. Yeah, things are going well. I mean, the flocks are, are, are um, abundant. All the spottled, mottled, striped flocks are, uh, they're, they're multiplying greatly, and they're the ones that are stronger than the ones of, of a more preferred uh, shade or marking. So business is good. Things are going well. However, it is still time to leave. That might make it hard for them. It's like, well, Things are hard here, but at least there's there's all of, all of this these flocks and things, um, and there's there is um, uh, provision via God, even though this is not the place we prefer. Look at verses four through thirteen. This is when Jacob calls Leah and Rachel to reveal uh, where his flock was. First uh, Peter three seven says that it is it should be the aim of a man to live together with his wife in an understanding way. To live together in an understanding way. So if he was to just pack up the camels, tell Rachel and Leah to zip it, let's go. That's not the most understanding thing. What we see here is, is a really beautiful picture of though things are not ideal, you have multiple wives, you're in your optimistic father-in-law's house, he brings his wives together and he speaks to them in an understanding way. He says, this is the plan. This is what your father's done. This is what I've seen again and again. And the whole time that has happened, my God has not forsaken me. And he gives a sober-minded recounting of what the actual situation is. 
of what's actually going on so that they're living together in an understanding way. When they move as a family, it's an act of worship. There's not a bunch of bitterness or frustration or anxiety or uncertainty. It's let's come together, let's talk through this, and let's move as a family. And so he's living together with an understand, in an understanding way. Uh, it is necessary to bring the family together to consider what God is doing uh, and how we as a family should respond. We never meet together as a family and talk through details. That's a problem. There should be time where this is happening so that as you move, you need to be uh, reflecting who you should have in place. As David is recounting, what does he reveal about God in all this? Let me just read for some of these verses. Starting in verse 5, he says to him, I see that your father does not regard me as favor. Uh, with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I served your father well and all my strength and defeated me, but God did not forbid him to harm me. Verse 9, and God has taken away his livestock, and if a certain type was to breed, then that, that type was, well, there was more. He said, you only get the strike ones this week. There was a lot of strike ones born, and so on and so on and so on. So what are the things we learn about God there? God aims to reveal things to us sitting in here tonight that he did with this family. What does it reveal about him? He protects Jacob. He's in control of what kind of goats are being born. He's in control of what kind of goats are being born. That's not a comfort to you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, God controls womb activity, yeah. even in a goat. Yeah. God controls the womb activity. That, that should be a comfort, maybe more so than this. Yeah. Um, what did he not permit? Harm. So, what's the difference between harm and being greatly oppressed? <coughs> yeah, arrived in a bad situation. Yeah, it would have been very easy to just say, oh, well, this whole situation is horrible. There's nothing good about this. This is a nightmare. Everything's bad. There's nothing good. But he was able to, in a sober-minded way, say, this is hard. My family's being oppressed. This is not a good long-term solution. However, we've not been harmed. I personally probably would have said, I have been wounded. He has done me wrong. This is horrible. He doesn't care about his daughters. He doesn't care about his grandkids. They're, I mean, a good thing I'm here. They may not have even eaten today had I not been here. That's harm. But his perspective shows that he sees a bigger picture. Uh, God makes provision as he sees fit, and God is a God of restoration. Verses 14 through 16. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he is indeed devourer of money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our Father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. This is probably a very hard and sobering moment for Rachel and Leah. There are some uh, who grow up <clears throat> with a view of uh, a parent that once you move on and get married and see some different perspectives, you realize, hey, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And sometimes that's a really hard reality to face. For Rachel and Leah, that's a very hard reality to face. That their dad is crooked, that their dad is a cheater, that their dad is opportunistic, that um, that their dad feels entitled to a lot. And you even hear that sense of entitlement in them. Where's, where's my money? 
Uh, were they out in the fields doing things? Where's my money? He gave away my money. So you see that that kind of entitled um, demeanor pours over into his daughter's lives. But this is probably sobering and hard time uh, for Rachel and Leah. A new reality for them is this. God has never forsaken their family. That's a good reality. Their heavenly father has been with them and caused them to prosper. Yet their, their earthly father has disinherited them and essentially poured them out for his own financial benefit. A couple of verses, you don't have to turn to them, but you can put them in your notes. Proverbs 13, 22 says, the good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That doesn't mean that all good men have to be really wealthy. It's saying that there's a view that you have that at some point you have to cap your spending and have a view for future generations. As your funds increase, you don't just live more and more lavish lifestyles. There's a view towards future generations. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And 1 Timothy 5a, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Really strong words. Those are reminders. It's good to provide for your family. The fact that that Jacob is here saying, you know what? I think we're going to have to move forward and do something different. This is not working out. That doesn't make him a quitter. He's doing a good thing there and trying to provide for his family. He's saying, we're going to do what we got to do. This situation is not working. So, in verse 16, we see two women. I don't know if y'all remember in the spring, what were some of the things and characteristics we got to beautifully observe in Rachel and Leah? <laughs> Hated one another. Yeah, hated one another. Step one. Leah was kind of ugly. Yes, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> His eyes were weak. They were pretty competitive. Yeah, they were competitive. Yes, they were. Yeah. What else we observe about them? Yeah. When, when they wanted a baby, what did they say? Hey, you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you, come make a baby. I want one now. There was no going to God, Lord. Just size of the animal, or put Lord on his way. No, it's, I want a baby. Stomping your feet, throwing the fit. She's got a baby, I want a baby. She's got two babies, I want two babies. Here's Silva. Make a baby with Silva. I don't care. I just want more baby. Here's Bill Hop. If she's going to use a Zilpa, I'm going to use a Bill Hop. And we'll make more babies. I mean, just, you don't see these upstanding women of godly character. Um, but in verse 16, look at what we see. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. What is that a picture of? Submission. This is a, this is a change. This is movement. This is good. This is sanctification. These aren't angels. They're not perfect ladies. These are not the ones you would immediately point to, like, daughter, I want you to be like them. There's movement here. What we're seeing there is that um, they're saying, Jacob, you're saying you've heard from God. You've brought us together. You've painted a sober and clear picture of our situation. You've told us what the Lord has shown you. You have modeled what it means to live together in an understanding way, not just leaving us in the dark, and what the Lord has said to you do. We, we see this picture of submission. Whatever God has said to you do, largely they have been controlling and overbearing, and now they have moved to a place where they are submitting 
to such a degree where this leaving, leaving is going to take place even more so. Look at verse 17. Now, uh, Jacob arose and set his sons and his wife on camels. He, drove, he takes everything and he leaves. Uh, Rachel decides uh, she's going to steal something on the way out. It's like, you know, we saw some movement. <laughs> we saw sanctification processing and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some stuff in my pocket on the way out. And as well, I'm so certain that the Lord has said, it's time to go, let's sneak away. When they're not looking and get three days' journey ahead. Uh, J- uh, Jacob does not make the best exit here. Uh, he, he, um, these verses don't seem to match up with the previous verses. Um, this should not surprise us. We ourselves can have a morning. It's horrible. You can wake up tomorrow morning, rude to your spouse, short with your children, uh, lackadaisical and uninspiring at work, um, and have a horribly unfruitful morning. And then the afternoon, the God of redemption can redeem it and change everything. We have each witnessed it again and again and again. Sometimes it's by the hour. You go from this point of, oh, what is the point of anything? And then, like the next hour, you're like, Lord, you're so good. Thank you for showing me these things. It's just, we seem a little crazy. All of us seem a little crazy. Um, and they, as, as well, seem crazy here. But the point is, is that you don't just say, we don't just go to the word and say, be like that person, be like that person, be like that person. It's keep your eye on the Lord. And look what happens when they don't keep their eye on the Lord. One paragraph, there's faithfulness and movement. The next paragraph is, let's sneak out and steal stuff. It doesn't add up at all, but that's sin. That we're seeing the lives of the people being sanctified, being transformed into the image of Christ. And so, keep a sober-minded approach. Sometimes we can have a tendency to, um, as fellow sinners, we see sin in someone else's life, and we just discount it. Oh, that guy said that but one time. I don't even care what he had to say today. Really? Are we all sinners? Don't we all struggle with it? And don't we have to fight to put sin in every moment of every day? Oh, yeah, that, 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 uh, that guy, he looked at me wrong that one time. I, I just, no, this guy's crazy. I just don't know. <laughs> Make up reasons to not trust people and, and assume the worst. And here, I could very easily say, oh, man, don't be like Jacob at all. But there's movement in Jacob's life. Sometimes it's more positive. Sometimes it's a couple steps back, but we're moving forward. And, and what we're going to see in the coming verses is that there's a very big difference between the movement we've seen Jacob and Laban. So I want you all to pay attention to the difference between these two men as they begin to butt heads a little bit in the coming verses. They, uh, they make a bad exit. They steal stuff. They say they deceitfully trick Laban. Then he goes out to shoot the sheep. That probably took a long time. They didn't have electric shears, so I'm guessing some primitive tool. Uh, it probably took a while, and they probably had to run around and catch it. So uh, if they had three days, it's probably pretty easy. Uh, why do y'all think Rachel sold the household of God? Entitlement? I felt like she was owed. Oh, yeah. She said it's been a long time. Yeah. Long time? I love how easy it is for us to know how she took it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not a lot. I was like, I have no idea why she would do 
Seven days. Seven days. You really want to catch him at that point. And followed close after him to the hill country of Gilead. Why does Laban want to catch him so bad? He wants his stuff. Yeah? He likes his stuff. You got my God in your pocket. Is that something about the God? We'll get to that in a minute. Pride. Um, that's my workhorse. Jacob keeps this place running real nice. I'm going to need him back here soon. Like he's just vacating. He's just on vacation, right? No, he's, he's fleeing. So he is pursuing because Jacob is fleeing. But God came to lay in the ark there, man. And a dream by night said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Uh, and Laban overtook Jacob. Now, Jacob, uh, they had all set up the tents uh, in the hill country of Gilead. Now, God had delivered Jacob through a lot of turmoil and hard times. I think that we can um, safely say that by God's design, Laban caught Jacob. It wasn't like, oh, he just would have run a little faster. The camels were in better shape. Um, I think it's safe to say that we can assume that it's God's design that Laban would catch up with Jacob. They didn't leave the right way. They didn't depart in a manner that was appropriate to what God had revealed to Jacob and his family. Have you ever considered that God can and does show up and speak to unbelievers? Laban's not a believer. There's no sign of faithfulness in Laban. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And God shows up and speaks to him in the dream. Now, I don't tell you that to, in hopes that you'll try and twist that. And like, that's your only prayer now, God. I pray that you would speak to the unbeliever in a dream. So that things happen. Like, don't just lean on that. But take it into account as you consider your full picture of who your God is. He does this. He can speak to an unbeliever in a dream to uh, protect his children and to warn and to inform. And that's what we see here, that he um, speaks to an unbeliever in a dream. And what does God say to David? No talking. No talking. <laughs> doesn't matter if it's good. It doesn't matter if it's bad. Don't talk to Jacob. Uh, and in verse 26, we see this opportunistic unbeliever's response to God's commands. Now, I want to read verses 26 to 29. I want you to take this in. Before I read it, what has Laban done for 20 years now? 20 years ago to this day, young Jacob, skin still soft, voice still squeaky, no calluses on his hands, mama's boy, shows up with a staff in hand, looking behind him, making sure he saw him, going to kick his tail. 
He shows up to put on a rock, makes a deal with him, and what happens? Laban deceives him from the start, and he wakes up and says, Leo. He's upset. Rightfully so. And then he says, Complete the week with Leah, and you can have them both. You get a twofer. And so. <laughs> Awesome, we have a tambourine, a liar, we kiss you goodbye. 
There's no indication that he's actually going to do that. It's so self-serving. It's so um, deceitful. If I haven't trained you with respect the whole time you've been in my home, I've tried to fool you and, and, and take away from you, and I've kept from even my daughters and my grandchildren, but now I'm going to act like, well, I was going to throw you going away party. I was going to do it. I, I, I had some really good plans, but you left too early. It's your fault. Uh, he, he was going to throw a party. He's going to get tambourines and liars. Uh, and in 20 years, he has done nothing more uh, than prove that everything about money and power matters more than all other things. In verse 28, what is it called, Jacob? A fool. He calls him a fool. Now, now this is adding up. Laban has not been punched in the nose yet. But he keep, if he keeps talking, it's getting bad. He's getting real bad. Um, it's amazing to me how much he's able to say. Um, Jacob's obviously still a little bit passive for a few more verses anyway. He calls Jacob a fool. Oftentimes the guilty party will be the one to make the more outlandish claim. He shows up. He's nothing but a self-serving, um, opportunistic, uh, bad guy who does the fear of the Lord. And he shows up saying, you're a person who drove my daughters away. You treat them bad. You are not doing what you need to do. You need to get on board with the program. I mean, he's making these outlandish claims because he's the one that's guilty. That's often how it works. Um, they'll bring the greater, more over-the-top claim. And verse 30, 29, uh, he reveals the real motive that he pursued Jacob. In verse 29, what does it say? It is in my power to do you harm. He, he shows why he's really there. I need you to get back because you, sir, are messing up my bottom line. And it's in my power to do you harm. All this stuff about, I miss my grandbabies and my daughters and my kids and tambourines. It's really, it really comes out in verse 29. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rough you up a little bit. I'm going to break your legs or something. It's like some thug saying, you, you mess with my bottom line? I can do you harm. It's in my power. But then he says this. He says, um, the end of the verse, he, he just blatantly shows disregard for God's command. Uh, he says, uh, the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. That's like, I was trying to think of this as like, and for whatever reason, the first thing that came to my mind. Um, it's like someone placing a restraining order on you, and you going up to them and being like, hey, that restraining order is serious, right? <laughs> like, that's some serious stuff about the restraining order you put on me. You want to talk about it? You're in violation of what you're supposed to be doing in, by your presence there. He's like, yeah, God told me totally I should not be talking to you. Well, your presence there shows you're being disobedient, showing disregard. What we're seeing here is Laban stands for God is trifling and flippant. That's Laban's reason. God came to Laban in a dream. When that happens to God's hearing man, it changes him. I mean, where have we seen him come to men in dreams before? Abraham, that, that worked out well. Joseph. Joseph. You see him changing things. You, you see God saying, hey, pay attention. I'm coming to you in a dream, and I'm God, and I have something to say. Laban's like, yeah, whatever. It's flippant. It deals with him in a, in a very flippant way. Um, 
God is not giving your suggestion here. Laban, I suggest you don't say anything. Let's say no, don't say anything. And here we see Laban's disregard for God's command. Verses 30 through 32. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. Why did you steal my gods? And Jacob answered and said, because I was afraid you left. Um, and then he says, I didn't take anything. Check. And whoever has your gods, they will not live. So he doesn't know what Rachel did here. Um, uh, this is a boiling point. Laban has cheap Jacob for 20 years. He's withheld basic necessities that are needed for his daughters and grandchildren. He's pursued him for seven days. Uh, he's 10 days into a journey. He's painted a picture of Jacob being a miser. He's called him a fool. And now he accuses Jacob of stealing. What does Jacob's response reveal? And he says, check. What do you see in Jacob? Searchability. Searchability, absolutely. He says, okay. Well, if someone in my household did that, I'm responsible for that. You go check. He doesn't say, I'll go check for you, Laban. I you are. He says, I you are. Go check. I'm searchable. I haven't stolen from you once in 20 years. And why would I steal on the way out? Go check. He's searchable here. It's really good. The way that Jacob has conducted himself gives him a leg to stand on, which we'll see here in a minute. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But uh, he, he shows sober-mindedness um, in saying, go check. Now, we can miss another really important point here. Um, what does it mean if your God can be stolen? <laughs> you stole my God. Where is it? <laughs> Keep your eye on Laban's God. The rest of the chapter. Keep your eye on Laban's God. 33 through 35. So Laban went and Jacob came. Leah's tent and came up there. He did not find God. He went out of Leah's tent and Rachel's tent. And Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the chest and sat on them. She <laughs> um, all about the tent, but did not find them. She said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you for the way of women and farming. So he searched, but did not find household gods. Heavenly, he did not look on the saddle of the camel. Uh, Rachel plays the one card that no man can dispute. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That time, and he says, "Okay, <laughs> like every other man, do. Uh, it's fine. It's okay to laugh." Um, so, so, where's the movement of Laban's God? I think our God, the one true God, has designed this to show maybe some disrespect for this lowercase G God. They stole it. They put it in their pocket. Now it's up in the saddle. Not only, not just any saddle. But Rachel's saddle. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> Chapter 36, or verse 36. Now, 36 through 42, something really good happens here. Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Now, I'm not saying it's good to become angry and berate someone, but this is Jacob we're talking about here. So this is this is a movement that, that's encouraging, in a sense, as long as he's not 
um, dwelling on the anger and stuff unrighteous. Um, Jacob said to David, what is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. And have you found all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen. Show me what you found. You went through all my stuff. What did you find that I stole? Put it out here so everybody can see. Jacob getting old here. He said, hey, I'm, I'm Jacob. Father Abraham. Um, and he says, you felt through all my stuff. Set it before my kinsmen uh, that they may decide between the two of us. He's like, let's let them judge. Your people are here, my people are here, let's let them judge. These 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. That shows that you provided really good care for the flocks. You were just going through the motions, freeloading the son-in-law. He was a really good worker. And I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. Um, I heard one guy say, that that's like working at your father-in-law's deli and bringing your own sandwich from home. Like, I, I didn't, I didn't free the, freeload off you, I didn't steal from you. What was torn by wild beasts, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. So that's like the truck dropped some stuff and damaged it, and rather than trouble you, then I pay for it. Because I'm a good worker. I bore the loss of myself for my hand you required, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by the heat of the day, uh, by day that he consumed me, and the cold by night, and my, sh my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I've been in your house, I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you've changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty handed. God saw my affliction and laid with my hands and rebuked you last night. When he came and said, Don't say anything, my God was rebuking you, and you showed disregard for my God. What we're seeing here is that Jacob's not just saying, I'm Jacob, I'm a man. He gets to the point where he's saying, man, I have tried to serve my God well, and if not for my God, you would have just been done with me. And, th and the conditions would have been even worse. So Jacob's not saying, give me my props, give me my due. He's saying, my God is mighty, and I've gotten to witness it, especially in light of the way that you've treated me. Finally, Jacob sticks up for himself. This is good. Jacob walked in integrity, so he had a leg to stand on when it came time to give an account. Now, we are not allowed to jeopardize integrity and obedience in response to someone else's sin. So like if you have a bad boss, that doesn't mean you get to be a bad employee. If you have someone who treats you rude, that doesn't mean you get to start being rude. We walk according to the way our God has told us to walk in this counterintuitive, countercultural um, kingdom mindset that, that really sets our minds on the things above and not on the things of earth. That, that's what we see here with Jacob. If he was just setting his mind on the things of earth, he probably would have gone crazy, moved as far away as he could, and not cared about anything, stole a bunch. Well, if he's going to change my wage, think about the eighth time his wage was changed. He kept working hard. So when it came time to give an account, he had a leg to stand on. We're not allowed to change the integrity we're supposed to walk with just because someone else's <coughs> is affected. Now, he's making changes for the good of his family. He's being a good dad here and a good husband. Amazing. And you know what? Some changes need to be made as we move forward. Um, enough is enough in verses 43 through 45. Essentially, those are, that's a, they're redefining the terms of their, they're having a DTR to find a relationship uh, between, uh, between Jacob and Laban. And what it boils down to is we're going to redefine the terms of our relationship because we've got, I'm moving on, and, and I'm going to go to what God's called me to. And Laban goes through all this stuff, and he doesn't have a leg to stand on. What does Laban need to do now? Go home without Jacob. 
the man. Um, Laban, it's interesting. Laban models for us the unbeliever who uses God's name in a moment of convenience. He says, but let us make a covenant by your God. You will not marry someone else. God forbid we have too many wives in this family. You will not be disrespectful. You will not do these things. And while I'm away, he's got this standard for Jacob that he doesn't live by. It's the definition of hypocrisy. Yet he incites the name of the Lord when it's convenient. Not when it's inconvenient, but when it's convenient. Where's my God? Okay, fine. I'll incite the name of your Lord. Works, whatever. It's, it's just self-serving. Um, now, the whole thing that, that should overwhelm us here is this could have been different. This, this could have been different. Had thing that we see in Laban, sad character in our Bible, and a sad model and representation of faithfulness to He never repents. We don't see movement towards brokenheartedness and I need to remedy my wrongstanding with that God who gave him It could have been different. Consider the differences between the movement we see in Jacob and the movement we see in Laban. Laban, a self-serving opportunity, never repents. There is no change or movement towards Christ's likeness. He will not give up riches and power even for his own daughters and grandchildren. As I'm reading this, ask yourself, do you identify more with Laban or do you identify more with Jacob? Because you may need to adjust your priorities. Here we see he's not willing to give up riches and power even for his own daughters and grandchildren. What does he do? He leaves. He could have repented and said, you know what, you're right. I've been a little unfair. But he doesn't. And he says, I'll never talk to my grandchildren and my daughters again. You stay on this side of the rock, I'll stay on that side of the rock. The result is that he's alienated from his family, left to return to his home, where his weakened flocks and his bitter sons await him. That's Laban's story. And this is the end of the prayer. We don't hear much about him from here on out. He doesn't repent. He's alienated from his family. And on the way home, his blessing gone. Jacob, however, is a common and fragile vessel used by God. He shows signs of life as we see movement. Now, the movement's not perfect. I want us to really get this in closing. The movement we see in Jacob is not perfect. He's still a sinner who struggles with boldness. He still struggles with it. Two decades in, he's still struggling with it. Again, two decades in,